Hi again, everybody. Ron Shera here with you with another Minnesota Bound podcast edition. Today, a very special guest. If you like to hunt pheasants, if you're concerned about grasslands, etc., this is the guy you want to listen to. Howard Vincent, who uh, is Mr. Pheasants Forever these days. Uh, Howard, uh, welcome to our show and thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Ron. Well, listen. Uh, just not too long ago, you announced you're stepping down as the executive director of uh, Pheasants Forever. Um, is that a tough decision? Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, but it's something that uh, we've been, you know, myself, my family, uh, our leadership at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever have been talking about for several years, obviously, you know, it's nothing you do in the, in a few moments. Uh, so this has been well thought out, both personally, professionally, and I think it's just the, exactly the right time. How how long were you with Business Forever? So as an employee, I'm rolling in on 36 years. Oh, and uh, you could tack on maybe a couple more as a volunteer prior to that uh, in the early years of the organization. Did was this begin as as just a job, or did were, were you inherently an avid peasant hunter? No, you know, being raised, you know, in Duluth, Minnesota, I grew up a grouse hunter, uh, and you know, never really hunted pheasants until, boy, I think I was about twenty three years old. Moved to Minneapolis, was working down here, uh, but to the your core question of you know, was this going to be? Was this a job? And, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, Jeff Finden, the first CEO, uh, asked me to come on as the first director of finance. Um, I loved what I was doing in public accounting, uh, but it also was for me the right time uh, to make that change. But my handshake with Jeff uh, back in 1987 was, uh, I'm going to stay for three years. And I promised uh you know, build the infrastructure, help build the infrastructure of the organization, all the things that we thought needed to be done, but then I would probably move on. Um, and what I didn't understand, maybe at the, obviously at that moment, was, uh, you know, I started to meet the people, started to meet the volunteers, uh, and honestly, I started to believe uh, really in the organization and you know, probably after about two years, um, I recognized that this could be, you know, a legacy for myself, for my family. Uh, and that's, and here we are today. Almost like a religion, right? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Very much. Well, Howard, um, uh, before we find out who's taken over for you, I think maybe we've had podcasts with, with that person before, but Never, nevertheless, I want to look back at your career um, because through your years as CEO, uh, Peasants Forever made remarkable expansion, growth, membership, dollar-wise. I mean, it's been, you, you leave a phenomenal legacy. I mean, you really do. Yeah, and I, um, you know, this is obviously... I don't think as much about me as it is about the team that we built 
at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, the number of volunteers and the time that they put in, and of course the partners who, um, you know, for our chapters to raise a dollar and then be able to work with our federal, state, and corporate partners to make those dollars go further. That's been the magic, I think, of the organization. Um, our drumbeat internally. Uh, when I came on in January of 2000 as the only the second CEO in the organization's history, the one thing that we had the ability to do for the first time in that window was really lift our head up uh, look around and recognize that we can't accomplish all the things we needed to do by ourselves. So we needed to look for partnerships and build those relationships. And, uh, you know, I learned that the mission was more important than the brand. And that allowed us to, uh, I think, make huge strides uh, organizationally to deliver more acres uh, and really impact the resource in a much greater way than we had, I think, originally viewed as an organization, just staying inside our own box. Mm -hmm. And so basically, uh, the mission has always been pheasant habitat, I do believe. Um, yes. A lot of organizations, and some still do, especially in places like South Dakota, they they confuse their mission with predator control as well as habitat. And uh, sadly, I mean, predator control has been proven time and time again on a mass basis. It doesn't doesn't do much good. Uh, how did you avoid that, uh, Pitt? Yeah, that's a that's a tough you know answer because there's so many ways you can visually. You, in your mind, impact a resource. And so obviously with pheasants, you can create more nesting cover, which is kind of our, you know, main focus. We believe that's the greatest choke point. And again, we, we try to use the best science available. Uh, but um, you could see logically at some level how managing predators uh, impact bird populations that to your point or your observation is you can't do it on a grand enough scale to really impact the broad resource. And this has been true for uh, on whether it's waterfowl or any ground nesting bird. Um, you just can't manage a landscape size uh, area of South Dakota, much less 25 states, let's say, with uh, with pheasants. So you want to be able to allow those birds to compete with Mother Nature on a much broader scale, a much bigger scale. And staying focused on who we are, what we do, um, doing the hard work, not maybe the easy work, um, including uh, raising and releasing birds. I mean, that's, uh, we don't do any of that as well. We, we do, we have done the habitat work for state department of natural resources when they've done relocation programs. But again, we stay in our lane. We'll do the habitat, um, potentially for those release sites. But even there, um, we're not using our dollars because we don't believe, uh, the science is there, uh, to expand those populations in that manner. It's incredibly expensive, uh, and we're looking 
to impact wild birds. Yes. Interestingly, um, I, I like to tell people, um, if you have the grassland habitat, then you can consider some predator control of, uh, of nesting predators, especially. And uh, I helped do that on a shooting preserve in South Dakota where we had great grassland nesting cover. But we hired a trapper to selectively eliminate skunks and a few raccoons, et cetera, uh, just as a way to help those hen pheasants survive a little bit in the nesting. But uh, on a grand scale, unless you, uh, like you just said, unless you have habitat first, you, the predator control means nothing. Um, just another aside, Howard, when I was with South Dakota's Game and Fish Department early in my career, um, there was a big um, hoopla internally because the they had a land management division whose duty was to manage the public hunting areas. Then you had a the biologist division, wildlife manager division, that were supposed to make these recommendations or to the land division. Well, as you might guess, the land division chief, he liked to do his own thing. And so he got called in one time to a meeting because the wildlife managers had complained that he had mowed most of the grassland. And uh, they asked him, why did you do that? And he said he wanted to make sure that the fox could not sneak up on the fence. Oh, my goodness. Serious. This is a true story. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, some of that logic still hangs out there. But uh, I think it's going away. Uh, I've noticed over the years, Pheasants Forever members, uh, they don't talk about that anymore. In fact, uh, people say, oh, I shot some coyotes to help the pheasants. Well, they, actually, you're doing them. A f you're not helping the pheasants at all. You, coyotes coyotes keep foxes out. So anyway. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, the the growth of Pheasants Forever has been spectacular. Um, and, you you know, you deserve uh, credit for it, for especially keeping the your mission zeroed in. Um, do you think, do you think we're making progress here? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you could take the easy answer and say, what would the landscape look like without us? Uh, yes. But we are, I believe at this time, really making progress. And uh, I could honestly say in the early years, uh, as a very young organization, you know, the dream of impacting that resource was a long way out there. Um, if you think about the way we started, I would argue that we were probably a food plot organization, right? I mean, the again, the simple answer is we see uh, pheasants in the fall when we're hunting and it's in the corn. Yes. So therefore, if we put up more corn and leave it, that's a great winter resource to feed pheasants. It's a great cover. Um, and in reality, it really wasn't very many of those things. Uh, the choke point for pheasant mortality in a year, hunger is not one of them. Um, corn is not a great uh, cover. Uh, and so we went to the science and we had to evolve as an organization. Um, and we knew the science was nesting cover, the appropriate nesting cover, 
brood rearing cover. Um, yes, winter cover, if it's done appropriately in conjunction with those other uh, elements. So we kind of went to the, we absolutely went to the science of it and have evolved. And then I think what's made us go leaps and bounds is, and, I, and I'll use the word being relevant. Um, not everyone's a pheasant hunter. Not everyone cares about pheasants, but what we were doing on that landscape, we're also benefiting soil health, water quality, um, any type of ground nesting bird and wildlife that lived in that, and including monarchs and pollinators. And so if you loved pollinators, the things we are doing in nesting cover and broodering cover were exactly what you needed to do for pollinators and monarchs. And you didn't have to hunt or care to hunt. Uh, and if you cared about clean water, the things we were doing, putting in buffer strips, keeping soil where it's supposed to be, um, farm bill uh, with a conservation title like those acronyms, right? Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, uh, EQIP, all these programs that are for really healthy lands, healthy soils. And that allowed us to really expand our partnerships, expand the resources that we are able to receive, um, put more boots on the ground, with these dollars to really impact uh, the resource. And, you know, you're aware we just came off our uh, six-year Call of the Uplands campaign, and it was our goal was to raise $500 million and impact 9 million acres of wildlife habitat in that window. And we we did that. We we raised five hundred and sixty-five million dollars. We we not we not only impacted nine million we blew through that and impacted 11 million acres in that window and brought a new, you know, we brought hundreds of thousands of new faces into the outdoors. So yes, we stayed focused on who we are and what we do, but we also recognize there's a, an incredible uh, amount of other individuals who can be passionate about resources that line up and mirror the things that we're doing. And, and we're seeing that now for the future. We're looking at right-of-ways and roadsides, and we're looking at uh, energy corridors and sustainability initiatives that will have greater impacts than we could have ever imagined. Sounds like your head is still swimming, Howard. With it is. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm incredibly, you know, I'm excited uh, for where we are at this moment and what we've accomplished, but I'm uh, just deeply excited about the future and the impact that this organization and its partners again uh, can have here. Uh, I, so this is the question I've been getting, uh, the most common question I'm getting in this retirement window is someone says, "Did you could you ever have imagined we would be this big of an organization, that we'd be a hundred million organization, that we would be delivering over two million acres every year. And I can honestly say, you know, never. I'd never ever imagined at that time. Now, at this very moment, I can imagine who we can be. I can imagine doing five million acres in a year this organization. And I can imagine, you know, bringing more people into the outdoors, a broader constituency, um, something that looks more like our 
reflective of our communities. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm very excited for the future of the organization. Uh, boy, that's <laughs> that's the best way for me to say it. Well, you've, you've done very well so far. I have to take a short break here, but when we get back, um, we're talking to Howard Vincent, the outgoing CEO of Peasants Forever, uh, sort of getting his take on where we're at, where we're headed. And um, when we get back, I'm going to go back to um, – uh, you're mentioning about water and and uh, monarch butterflies, etc. Uh, so we'll return with more of the Minnesota Bound podcast right after these messages. Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Also, I want to thank our friends at Connecticut. You know, spring is close, and that means we are going to be back at the cabin real soon. And for the Shirks, that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin, and oh boy, what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we have dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But after a four-hour painless installation, we now have Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make early morning coffee before getting out in the fishing boat. We have great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Uh, welcome back to another edition here, a second edition of uh, Minnesota Bound Podcast. Ron Shera here with you, my special guest Howard Vincent, the outgoing CEO of Pens Forever, wanted to catch up with him to sort of um, get his take on where he's been and where he thinks uh, Pens Forever organization is going. And and uh, as we just uh, folks just tuning in, we we can tell Howard you're you're very excited about uh, where Pens Forever is at as you uh, go into retirement. But you mentioned earlier, and I remember this moment um, when Pens Forever. You didn't shift your focus on grassland habitat, but you began to uh, sell it more differently because we didn't give a damn about whether there were more pheasants or fewer pheasants. Uh, wasn't much interested in what Pheasants Forever was doing because it sounded like you just want more feathered targets. But uh, this housewife learned early on that the grassland emphasis that Pheasants Forever and others had was also about clean water, her water, and uh, less soil erosion and uh, 
just a lot of benefits there. The monarch butterflies, uh, bees, you name it. And um, I think that in part, Howard, um, is reflected in the success of Friends Forever today. Absolutely. Um, and again, the, you know, the word we you know, recognize internally was being relevant. You know, how can we be relevant to a broader constituency beyond the hunting community, beyond, to your point, those that wanted to maybe just shoot more birds? Um, and that, and at the same time, that is the base of the organization. We've got over 750 chapters across the country with both, whether it's the Pheasants Forever brand or the Quail Forever brand, uh, those volunteers those raise those monies locally. Decide they lo locally decide where best they can deploy those dollars for that resource. And now, what else? What's the and in the next thought? Right, not an or. What's the and? And being relevant because of water and the things that we do, or soil health, monarchs, butterflies. Uh, and to this moment, uh, carbon sequestration and climate resiliency yeah. is now relevant. And the things we do on native prairie, I mean, when we talk about grasslands, we're really talking about native prairie. And the carbon that's sequestered in that is incredibly significant. Um, carbon is sequestered in a plant that's only, let's say, three feet high, but that root system is 12 to 14 feet deep. And all that carbon that those plants are sucking up is putting carbon back in the ground where it's supposed to be. Um, and it's incredibly now how we work and identify partners who believe in that. There are federal dollars and state dollars and corporate America who's now having to track their corporate, um, their carbon that they utilize, release, and now they can put some resources to recapturing that carbon. And so we're having those, not only those conversations, we're actually delivering those programs now. And we have for the last, you know, probably five, six years, we've been working in that space and, you know, looking beyond, you know, the wildlife management areas, looking beyond the private landowners the, with farm bill practices. We're looking at broader landscapes like right of ways. So, roadsides, energy corridors, if you think about power lines and what's underneath them, instead of having a monoculture of one grass that has no or very limited wildlife benefit, we can do the right mixes of grasses uh, and really impact pheasants, quail, and every other species um, that live in that space and really do not only quantity, but really quality uh, for wildlife and conservation. Well put. What amazes me, Howard, is that, um, for example, some of our state leaders, they want to reduce our carbon emissions in Minnesota, and they mention trees. They mention we got to change, uh, go to electric vehicles. We do a lot. Of, we have to do a lot of things. Hardly anybody mentions. Uh, what grasslands can do for capturing carbon. And uh, I, I, I don't understand why that doesn't get any attention. Yeah, and we're working on that right now. We've, uh, in the last Congress, we introduced a new bill called the North American Grasslands Act. 
Um, it's, uh, it didn't pass the last Congress, but it will be reintroduced again this year. Um, our goal would be to really generate about $200 million annually. And this would be, you know, not just grab those classic grasslands across the Midwest that we see and where we hunt pheasants, but this could be the sage grouse step, sagebrush step in the Northwest. And it also reflects the pine savannas of the Southeast. And so trees are obviously a great uh, resource for capturing carbon, but um, there's a qualifier there in that you can see all that carbon, right? It's in the tree. It's in the leaves, the bark, the wood, and that's a great place to store it until you have a fire. These devastating fires that have, you know, swept this nation, all that carbon is now released. When the tree burns. Right. Mm. Now, grassland has a a longer life than that because, and yes, there will be grass fires, but that just burns that three feet of grass above ground. That root system stay intact. Yes. And that carbon stays there. So there's there's a time element to recognizing how carbon is saved, where it's saved, and when it potentially could be released. So yes, we want more trees, uh, but we also, you know, in, with trees, um, and this really isn't our space, but we also recognize the importance of utilizing uh, healthy forests and using those products, right? Let's use less cement, right? Which is really terrible as far as carbon being released. Let's use more wood, right? Because you need young trees, for the best carbon sequestration. We know those trees to grow, right? Old forest trees are not very good because they will burn. Um, and it's inevitable that that will happen. Um, so there's there's a thought and a management process with all of these decisions. Are you the only uh, one thinking about this stuff? No, definitely not. Definitely not. In fact, I'm at the North American Wildlife Conference uh, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri this week. And I'm on a break and I just came out of a meeting with the American Wildlife Conservation Partners. We're a member of that. That's made up of 50 of the largest wildlife conservation groups in America. Um, We fight for those things every day. And, you know, we've gotten smart and we work together. So not only Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is 140,000 members. When, let's say, we give testimony in Washington, D.C. or send letters to our legislators, we work with the other 50 partners and all of our names go on that letter and we'll represent, you know, at a low end, 3 million and at a high end, 10 million uh, hunters, conservationists uh, pushing for these issues. So it is becoming uh, a much bigger and broader conversation. And as an example, um, Coca-Cola, um, at their national board level, is getting pressure from their um, shareholders to be sustainable, right? And I would say in corporate America, the sustainable word is equivalent to our conservation word, which is the best use of resources and sustainable use resources. So, for example, Coca-Cola wants their corn syrup that's grown from corn yep. to come from 
good sound conservation practices, sustainable practices from their producers, from the corn growers. Mm -hmm. So those things are all happening. Uh, We're working with those producers to have conservation plans to grow corn on the best, richest soil, not the worst soil, not soil that's erodible. Um, Let's put less chemicals in, let's buffer our streams, and we don't have to farm right up to the edge of a road or the edge of a stream. Let's do this thoughtfully where we, we, and we do need to feed a nation and fuel a nation and create fiber, you know, for the world. Um, But all these things need to be done thoughtfully. And the pressure beyond the conservation community beating this drum, and I think that's your, really your question is, you know, is the conservation world the only one telling the story? Now corporate America is having to address their issues on where their resources come from. And they're having to put money and thought into where that comes from. And we're a part of that now. We're a part of those conversations. Interesting. Um, I, I thought, um, I've often thought, uh, like this ethanol craze we got, we're using corn. And I know from, from right from the get-go that grass also could be used to make ethanol. But apparently the corn growers or lobbyists would say, oh, no, 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 we got to use corn, which was disastrous to the environment. Um, but I don't hear anybody too much talking about let's use grass for our ethanol when farmer doesn't have to plant it every year and saves a lot of time on the tractor, doesn't use much energy to harvest it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and again, in my naive setting here, I go, why aren't we doing that? Yeah, and there's, you know, and you can address any commodity there is. Um, and and again, here's that line that says, is that our business? Is that our mission to address um, how commodities are used? Yeah, you can't be everything to everybody. I right. And, and so, but this is a really a relevant question, you know, because we, we get this. And, you know, my answer and the organization's answer is our business is to help those producers ha- produce good conservation on the acres they're farming. It is not what they use that commodity for. It's not our business that they use corn for cornflakes, for ethanol, or for, you know, uh, fiber or glue or yeah. ink, Yeah. right? If you think about soybeans, that's what, how they use that resource is not our business. How they grow it is at yes. some level, right? Yeah. So let's make the most efficient use of our soils and our resources. Uh, again, we know... Our producers need to feed the world, and let's say fuel and the fiber that goes with it. But let's be smart about how we do it. Let's be efficient and effective because we can have both things. We can have good conservation and wildlife on working farms. And and honestly, that's where we do about 90% of our acres. So I mentioned we did, last year we set a record to 2.4 million acres of habitat in one year. 90% 90% of it was on working farms, farms that are growing corn and soybeans and wheat and other grains. Um, that's, it, it's supposed to work that way. Amazing. I would have to take another break. Uh, when uh, we come back, we'll resume our conversation for one, um, for the third episode here. Um, uh, so folks, stay tuned. 
Uh, you're listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Ron Chera here with you with special guest Howard Vincent, CEO of Pheasants Forever. We'll be right back after these messages. The Minnesota Historical Society. Right now, the Minnesota Historical Society and the Minnesota History Center are presenting Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. Step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. You can learn about the powers of observation, deduction, and science while solving an interactive mystery. You can try the hands-on gadgets and experiments that are based on real forensics and make learning fun. See exactly how Sherlock influenced both real detectives and pop culture. Last Chance, the exhibit closes April 2nd. Learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. Also, a big shout out to our friends at StarBank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for StarBank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own StarBank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call StarBank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember, FDIC, an equal housing lender. Well, thank you again, everybody, for coming back. Ron Shira here with you with the special guest, Howard Vincent, CEO of Pheasants Forever. Uh, if you've been listening to this conversation, if you thought you are going to find out how to shoot a pheasant more easily, you might be mistaken because... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're talking about some of the things that pheasants need, but some of the things that society needs as well and pertaining to water, climate change, carbon, uh, you, you name it. Um, uh, Howard, uh, when are you stepping down? Let's get that out there. So, um, you know, we kind of handed the keys over uh, the end of February, so right after Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic in Minneapolis, um, handed the keys over to Marilyn Better, the new uh, president and CEO. And now, technically, I'm on speed dial <laughs> till the end of June. I want to be a resource. Uh, we're bringing uh, Marilyn around the country. She'll be joining us here at the North American Wildlife Conference tomorrow uh, uh, and be here for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll be bringing her to Washington, D.C., introducing her to many of our partners there. Um, so this is a, a great opportunity to transition this organization in a very thoughtful uh, and consistent way. Have you moved out of your office? I did. Oh, I did. So at the end of, uh, we crossed into the new year in January, and I honestly, we've been working so hard on the Call of the Uplands campaign, getting ready for Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. I mean, all those things. And I really wasn't thinking about retirement in really any way. I was going to sprint through the finish line and then something as mundane <laughs> as I need to move out of my office. And that had to be I'll, kind of know, tough. Get ready for Maryland to move in. That had to be and, tough. And, and it was. It was. Uh, you know, I you're opening up drawers and files that you haven't opened up in years and you yeah. come across old photos of 
Howard and Ron Shera up on stage. And, <laughs> you know, I think that was our 25th anniversary. You were our uh, MC and host and yes, of course, knocked it out of the park. But I mean, all, then those memories, uh, old photos, old files of. Um, I, think I, let me, I, I think I knocked it out of the park one time. You asked me to say a few words, too. And uh, I had just done a story about uh, um See uh, uh, Conservation Reserve, CRS, CRP, CRP land and 10 year uh, uh, contracts. And I said something while the Secretary of Agriculture was in the audience that uh, 10 year contracts, if if you call this conservation, Eldo Leopold would roll over in his grave. (laughs) 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 I don't think some of your presence forever people appreciated those remarks, but I'd say it again to him face, uh, face, but, um, anyway, just another memory there, but I, yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate uh, always being invited to, uh, Raven used to lead your doggy parade when it was in Minneapolis here. And a lot of uh, fond memories. Well, and think about the money that Raven raised for us. Yes. Uh, that went right in the ground wildlife management area named after Raven. Yep. Um, what, what, that's a story and a legend in itself. Indeed. Well, Howard, before I say goodbye, I want to say this. What's your message to people who might be listening, who are not Pheasants Forever members, they don't hunt pheasants, or if they do, what, what can people do at this juncture? I would say get involved with something you love and that you're passionate about and look at the you know, what can really deliver that? And here's an anecdotal story. This It's true. Um, we're talking about pollinators. There's a conference out in California, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people at the conference. And one of our people, Pheasants Forever people, is up there talking about pollinators and what we do, why we do it. And at the end of it, round of applause. But one older woman, I'm told, stands up and says, Pheasants Forever is a hunting organization, and I'm anti-hunting. I sent my membership in this morning because nobody does more for pollinators than Pheasants Forever. She (laughs) sat down. Right? I mean, so here's this pendulum that's swinging, which is, oh, my God. And then let's join an organization that does what I believe in and what I want to have happen and let the other stuff go. And, and, and so for listeners out there, if you're passionate about the outdoors, about water, soil, pollinators, resilient climate, uh, we're your organization. And, uh, and if we're not, get involved in something that you can be passionate about and, uh, you know, do something good. Well said, Howard. With that, um Thank you again, Howard, very much for your time and that message. And um, we wish you well in your um, retirement. I, I, I'm guessing you're not going to sit around uh, waiting for the next business season. No, I'm not. We've, um, I'm going to still stay connected. Uh, I'm sitting on some other national boards uh, uh, in, a, in our commu- wildlife conservation space. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be working a little bit more in the diversity uh an inclusion space to invite new faces into the outdoors. Uh, and then I've got three grandchildren right in oh, the yeah. St. Paul area. And that's just been spectacular. 
uh, and really looking forward to more quality time there. Well, good for you. Again, thank you very much for your time. I'm Ron Shera. That about does it for the Minnesota Bond Podcast. The stories behind the stories presented by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, my favorite water, the Minnesota Propane Association, uh, my good friends at Starbank, and the Minnesota Historical Society. So until next week, don't forget, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. I'll see you down the road. Ron Shera. Mm-hmm.